give that shit up, you're going to concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Welcome to this week's edition of a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Bossy and Paul. This is the coaching podcast with a difference. We watch a movie, it might help if you watch it too, we get a special guest on, and we discuss the coaching from the movie and how it relates to our own experiences. So whether you're in the car, out for a run or a walk, or just using us to cancel out the noise from the kids in the background, we hope you enjoy. Okay, so welcome everybody, and this week uh, we are joined by Massey and Paul again. Welcome lads. How are you lads, how are you all? How are things? Very good, and I'd like to say we've got Mr. Sean Crowley with us, and this was disclaimer, Sean, Sean is my brother. Uh, I suppose the, the better coach in some ways and the worst coach in others, but thanks for coming on. Thanks, lads. Waiting, waiting a long time weekly on my phone and a lot of good people went before me, I see. Um, Anyone who went before you was better. We're scraping the bar here tonight now, Sean. Yeah, this is my, this is the highlight of my career now in podcasts and, um, you know, I can rest easily now after tonight, thank God. Good. Well, that's great to hear. I'm delighted you're so privileged to be on with us. Um, first of all, Sean, look, give a background there on your own coaching on how you kind of got to, like you're a full-time development officer at Cartier. Give a small background on what got you to this stage. Yeah, look, I suppose, um, well, I suppose I followed you to Dublin, really, um, and I got a GPO job in Fogs for four to five years. And look, to be honest, I suppose I was kind of hurling still at the time at home, and um, I would be involved with underage in my own club. Since probably 2002, I remember I was 15, 16. I was training around under 12 team and um, I was only four years older than him for his suppose. But I remember we were C grade at the time and uh, Ray Rashford, he'd be a good club man of mine, I suppose, got me involved and he would have been bringing me out training young for us as well as at the time I would have been playing senior hurling as well, junior hurling and under 21 of mine and all that. But I kind of, I suppose, always had a keen interest in the coaching and, um, you know, like, we were C grade, I remember, the 12 at the time, and Ray put a lot of work into the team, and he got me involved when I was youthful, and I was naive, and I nearly cringe now, looking back, to be honest with you. We, we won a C grade final against Russell Rovers down the aisle, and at the time, it was the biggest thing of all time, I suppose, and, um, you know, I just, I remember even the team talks, and everything were a bit, they were a bit overly passionate, you could say, at the time, and um, I suppose it just followed on from there, really, and I'm at the stage now where I'm kind of, I'm still only in my 30s, thank God, but I, I, I feel like I've been coaching forever. And I suppose my outlook and my um has changed, I suppose. You know, my passion would still be there, but definitely player development, looking at the bigger picture. I'd be always kind of looking at the bigger picture, I suppose, and not getting too caught up about um the results um business, particularly with underage teams. Whereas, you know, in the past, when I first started out, definitely. I would be solely focused on the results and not really the player development. So I, I've kind of gone full circle, really, in, in, in my coaching approach. And then, obviously, in 2013, I, 2013, I got back into Cork, I suppose. There was a job opportunity came up. I went for it and I got, got it, thankfully. And um, I've been coaching in Cork since then, really. And I've been involved with various Cork under 21 and minor teams, um, and as well as my own club and um, underage development squads and the Milton CBS. Luckily enough, I'd be involved inside there as well. And they've been quite successful the last few years at Hearty Cup level again, um, after kind of, let's say, not doing so well for a long period. And um, 
yeah, that's really where I'm at at the moment, I suppose. And come here, why did you pick the, the film you picked? Uh, but I, I was going through the full list, Polly, to be honest, yeah, and uh, a lot of my, I suppose, films were gone and I was looking at, I suppose what I was looking at really was um, player or children and teenagers and I was trying to pick a film, let's say, aimed at that age group and um, what I was looking at maybe was just kind of seeing, could I, could I see a few things that I could relate to in the GA or in teams and how young fl- players go from te- child to teen and then to adult, you know, and I think the sand lot to me anyway, like it just kind of shows that, you know, for children, um, you know, about it's all about playing and having fun and enjoying themselves with their friends. And then, you know, I suppose the other big thing I took for it as well at the end, if you noticed, you know, how they all ended up as adults. And there's only one, I think there was one fellow went on to play at an elite level. There was another guy who went on to play baseball level and he's still coaching his kids. But the other guys went on to have other careers. And again, I suppose we can relate that back to the GA really where, you know, a lot of players come through underage and they don't all, all play adults uh, with their clubs or county after. So there's a lot of similarities, really, I think, in terms of, you know, um, a, a player's GA journey, really, from, from childhood right to adult level. That's what I'd see in the film. It was it was a brilliant film again, wasn't it? Like, of all, like, watch 51 different films and documentaries at the stage. And that's definitely in the top five. Um, just, like, looking back, I'd say you can take any scene out of it and it's something that you could remember from your own childhood um, but it's like uh, watching the film I was watching with the family as well and then the wife goes to me at the end of the film and she goes why did you pick that film like there's no coaching whatsoever yeah. and I said that's actually the point it's like there was yeah. you know very late it was just like playing every day every minute of the summer where they could up at 8 o'clock in the morning first thing to do was go to the field play baseball they didn't even have like I know there was one little game in it, but they didn't even have a match between themselves. They were just practicing, they're catching, they're hitting, they're, you know, creating scenarios for themselves. Um, they were learning by playing and having a bit of fun and a bit of development involved as well. It was just really enjoyable for them to watch. Yeah, do you know what, Sean, Sean, fair play to you, because I'm not sure if i actually seen it before. There's a couple of things that maybe were similar, um, but like The Goonies would actually be one of my favourite films even now, whenever it's on, I watch it, and there's a real vibe of the Goonies off it, and it's yeah. it's it, it, it's really enjoyable. And like as I was watching it as well, kind of one thing that kind of stuck out to me was we'll say when Ham ends up jumping into the water at the swimming pool, and he does <laughs> cannonball. I was oh Jesus, that's a uh, that's like Anchorman, right? But then in the scene where him and the fella from the other the other team are slagging each other and they're throwing out vicious insults, and then he uses that line that we have in the intro, you throw ball like a girl. It was very much like that that uh, Ron Burgundy and Veronica Corningstone fight where like you're a, a, a scorpion devil whore and all this stuff. And then she eventually says to Ron, you have bad hair. And like, it was like, that's the worst thing imaginable you could possibly say to the fella. And the third link then was, you say, Wendy Peppercorn and Veronica Corningstone have kind of similar type of names. So um, I actually done a, a tiny bit of Googling to see was there a kind of links and, and homages kind of noticed between both films and it isn't noted down so I'm taking it up as 
my first original point on this uh, on this podcast in, in a year. That's good. Cool. Ep- 51 episodes in and he's actually come up with something good. Let's stop talking. <laughs> Excellent. And, and like just on the, on the thing, like I suppose, look, you, you mentioned this about, you know, the kids and that's like one of the things they said at the start, they said they didn't keep score, they didn't pick teams, they just played every single day and they came back the next day and the game kept going. And I suppose I'd say for us, it's probably a bit nostalgic to our own youth of just going out and playing consistently without ever the result bothering you, you know, go down the pitch on a Monday and go down the pitch on a Tuesday and you go down the pitch on a Wednesday um, or wherever you go to the green or wherever or you go to the roundabout as Paul might have had to do with the lads. Um, but there was always just, it was just playing. And like, I, I think kids probably these days don't get as much of those opportunities. No. Um, and like, you know, you, you said about the playing and like, you know, no scores and just practicing, having fun. And like, you could see, the enthusiasm that they had every morning to go out and play it, you know, with the exception of the one very sunny day where they went to the swimming pool to so warm. But, you know, the, the enthusiasm to go out and hit the perfect ball, to throw them, catch the perfect ball. Um, and like the big thing I keep taking from the film is there's no coaches. You know, it's just kids playing a game that they love. And, um, you know, like, I suppose we're all being involved, lads, and we're all looking at teams and players and, you know, I suppose like, None of us here are, are, are the best coaches in the world, but we're definitely, I suppose, qualified to kind of give a judgment and, and, and know what's good practice and bad practice in coaching. But, like, there's a big bugbear of mine, anyway, particularly in the last few years, is the amount of talking and uh, team talks that mentors are having with players, even from under 12 down, and not spending enough time working on skills. And, you know, they're spending too much time working on position sense and so on, so on like that, even at under 10 level in clubs. And you're saying, geez, would you just go and practice the skill, you know, and, and, and let the kids practice it away. And it's, it's like when we coach a skill to a child, I suppose, to pick up the ball or whatever, six, seven years of age or eight, that, um, you know, as soon as you say you're going practicing to pick up, they're already picking up the ball in their own head. So, like, you know, whatever you have to say for the next 30 seconds or one minute or two minutes is absolutely pointless. And it's until such time as they practice it that they'll actually listen to you the next time they come back in. So... You know, there's just a few, a lot of that I took from it. And I think you touched on the point as well about the technical side, Colin, about, um, you know, like that, that he was, um, Smalley was thinking too much about how he was going to throw the ball, how he was going to catch the ball. And I think it was Benny was kind of taking him under his wing and he was saying to, I suppose, um, you know, give him a bit of confidence, but tell him to stop overthinking it, just go out and enjoy it. And just gave him one or two simple things to, to remember when he was practicing the skill. But, you know, he was he was a good character as well. I think Benny, um, in terms of I like, I don't know about you guys, but he definitely relates to a lot of players that and people that I would have seen come up from primary school and go on to have good careers at a, at at a good level with County, be it in Dublin or Cork, in terms of his character, in terms of his um, you know, and how he carried himself really. And I suppose it's also a sign of you know players we'd see that are talented in primary school or secondary school but they wouldn't have the same kind of characterism that we pick out straight away and you say, well, I think he'll come to the end of his kind of road in terms of his development because of his attitude and how he carries himself. So there was just a lot of similarities in the characters, really, I can relate to as well, you know. There was a good thing there with Benny where Benny was like head and shoulders above him of everyone else, bar maybe the pitcher who went on to have a career as well. But like he needed the others to play. Mm. He just didn't develop as a... 
a major league baseball player by just practicing on his own. He needed the lads to play with and he looked after them and he, he got them down and everyone had a role and everybody's important, everybody's a friend. And that's the same with any young lad or young girl who wants to play camogie or play football or whatever it is. They need to be playing with their friends. Like they're not just going to be, become a superstar just playing in the back garden on their own all the time. Like it does help individual practice, but you do want to be playing all the time. And just what a summer they had, like really, wasn't it? It was just mm-hmm. it was just brilliant. Like just bring it back to what your youth and what you used to do in them hot summers or wet summers we used to have in Gala, I'm not sure. Yeah, do you know what like Nearly of all the, the films we've watched and teams and players we've seen, Benny is up there in the upper echelons of of players who, who we've seen in terms of, if you listed out the characteristics of a teammate that you wanted to have, it's Benny. So he's the best player on the team. But yet... The initial engagement from Scotty where he's shit. His skill set is very poor and everyone's abusing him. It's the fella at the very top of the pyramid is the one who comes down to the bottom of the period and his emotional intelligence around that going, as you have said, do you know what? We could do with Scotty here because it makes us able to play the game a little bit closer to... To, to what the game is, you know, and the the, the element of the, the peer coaching he does of do this, don't be thinking of that, as you said, A, B and C, just do, just do A and, and kind of take from there. He, look, he was just, he, he, he was, he was a great character and like even, even as it goes on and they're trying every, uh, harem scare him scheme going to try and get the ball back Benny's just there and he's kind of helping and he's he, he's facilitating along and he's not pushing himself forward but eventually he steps up and he's the man who gets the job done and he probably could have done that right at the very off but possibly seeing the the value in and and what's needed in terms of a team to be just try a few things out like he was like like he had Everton like I know it was only like 12 years of age but like he was brave he was courageous he um, showed great leadership throughout the film like he was just like a proper role model um, like it was just he was just as you said he's one of the best characters we've seen in any of the films we've watched so far like he's just a top top guy yeah and like and on that as well like he like he was, as I said, he was he was showing Smalls how to catch the ball and try to give him little tips and stuff. And I'd imagine most of us, any skills that we learned in hurling a football or whatever sport people played, we probably learned it more from a peer than an actual coach. Like I'd like to think that, like, did did my older brother teach me how to do the jab lift or show me how to do it, or did Sean have to learn off somebody else, or did was it a teammate? You know, like it wasn't always necessarily the coach who had to introduce the skill, and that's where it got learnt, you know. Um, back in the day, anyway, I think it's probably it's probably not as much anymore. But uh, like, I think that kind of play and being able to, I suppose, learn from each other I was think a huge thing. A case that if you, I think it's a case that if you see a peer doing something, then you're like, think she's I can do something better and have a chance of doing that. Where if you see an adult doing it and doing it, say, well, sure, they're a lot older than me. Of course, they have to do it. 
Um, I think it just breaks down that little barrier for somebody who's learning a skill. So it's it's something like we learn off each other so much as young people growing up, and it's um, something that we should be doing more in coaching young teams, and that it's just get the good guys, good girls in to show people what to do. Not the same person every week or for every demonstration, but yeah, it's something that we could use a little bit more. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's an it's an interesting point you're you're after kind of making there in terms of seeing the peer doing it and the idea of coaching. And if you take it back to, we'll say, foundation level coaching, and you have the idea model of introduce, demonstrate, explain, and attend. Like when kids are playing at the wall, at a hurling wall or, or kicking football over the bar or whatever it is, when they're doing it with their peer, they're getting the demonstration part of it. They're getting the introduction part of it because they're doing it because they want to try and score and, and improve. And the attend part, while they're not getting the feedback off the coach, they're getting the kind of inner inner feedback. So they're getting a lot of that idea model there, just coaching away themselves and and learning off learning off off their peers, you know. So the like the the whole concept and idea of, of coaching. It, it it's it's more a little bit of refinement here and there rather than building the whole house, you know. Yeah. And you know, just a good point there, like you know, you were saying about Benny, I suppose recognized that he they need a smallie for the team, you know, for nine aside, you know, because it was nine players on the team and so on. But and and like he knew he was weak, but he was able to work with him and give him small, simple jobs. Isn't it very similar to the goal games, really, in clubs that you see clubs focused on a lot of mentors like our folks and the better players, let's say, and and not so interested in the weaker fellas, you'd say, like, and you know, they don't seem to realize that, you know, by the time you get to under 13 level and 14 level, you're 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 going from six, seven aside at under eight, under nine, to nine aside, to eleven aside, to, to then having a fifteen aside team. That without having like small involved, you won't have enough players for a team at under 14 level or under 13 level in a club. And you know. Uh, you know, you could see there a player was able to recognize that in this film, and he was able to bring them all along with him because he knew what was required. But I see a lot of clubs where coaches are quick to write off like Smalley and you know, kind of not be as interested or show any interest in them, and they, they ultimately fall away. And then they get to under 14 level and they're wondering, geez, where are all the players going to be? Six or seven good players here, but everyone else is after giving up, you know. So that was a good take from it as well, I think. Yeah, and just and on that, Sean, like I, I think it's something that I was thinking about lately. Is there's been very few new clubs in, in like in Cork where we are based. Um, there's been very like if you look in Dublin now, there's an awful lot of clubs kind of started six in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. I'm like thinking Ballyboard and now, and even the nineties, like Sir Castle Knock, and like would it be better? And like you, you got from the film there, you had the team, the established team that were going to play, in, and you had a bunch of lads who didn't want to play for a team, but they wanted to play with each other, and. Are a lot of uh, is the GA too? I suppose traditional. Like, would we be better off if we had two or three teams where there's a lot of one clubs at the moment? Like, I won't name any club in particular, but like you've got, you've got um, Tralee and Killarney there now, and there's three clubs in each of them, and you've got equivalent sized towns all around the country where there's one club, and that one club might not be a senior club. Like, is the fact there's three clubs in Killarney? pushing each other on to be better and to give all the kids in that parish a better opportunity than one club just creaming the cream or taking the cream from the top. Like, is, is that something that 
the G&E probably need to have a look at. Soccer-wise in Dublin, um, there's hundreds of clubs and a lot of them are very much one-team clubs. And like we'll say the own area I'm living in, we'll say, I, I, I don't know how many there is at the moment, but in the past there's been 20 clubs in an area where there's maybe one or two GA clubs. But what they're doing is, I suppose they're scrambling every week to get their 11 players out to field. And they haven't got the luxury of, Jesus, do you know what? Forget about forget about Mossy there because he's brutal, but like that's that's not there. So it's it's a case of everyone everyone is chased, you know. Rather than oh we've we've lots of we've lots of resources, we've lots of kids. If we lose a few along the way, so be it. Like you know, it's I think I think it's going to be very very hard for new clubs to be set up in an area that already has a traditional club. Um, we said like said the newest, I guess, was Casamock, probably a big, big club now set up in an area. But I'd say it'd be very, very hard, and there'd be a lot of opposition to new clubs being set up where they're in a in a big town, for example. Just to draw Port Leash out there, for an example, one club town with a big population. Like I'd say, if a new club went in there, like Port Leash themselves wouldn't be happy. I'm just throwing that out there, and rightly so. As a, if you're a member of that club, you wouldn't be happy if a new club set up. So it's it's. Uh, yeah, I say it's a very strange hard thing one. to do there. Yeah. yeah, like it's just, I suppose it's good. It's a good, like, you know, I remember, and you do two lads, Pat Daly would have came along a few years ago with the Super Games centers and stuff, you know, and I suppose we were, he would have been preaching that to us, you know, and like, I know a lot of us would be kind of raising our eyebrows and be saying, Jesus, this is some load of, you know, you would kind of, you know, you, you know, there'd be a bit of a traditionalist in us, like at the time, but, you know, feck it. Looking back now, you'd nearly say he was he he's he's nearly ten or twenty years ahead of his time with it. Do you know what I mean? Like it is definitely a model worth pursuing because I I can see my own young lad. He's twelve, you know, and he he loves the game obviously, and um, he's involved with a club with very big numbers. And you know, he, he like ability wise, he's on the right team in the club. But like at the same time, him and his friends, you know, and I I just get like he's twelve. All he wants to do is be playing. Do you know what I mean? All he wants to be doing is playing matches and the scores don't really matter and you're kind of saying, fucking hell, like, you know, it is a kind of, I'm kind of full circle on it now nearly at this stage. But at the same time, you know, there does need to be, and I, I, I know Colin's point, but like, there does need to be a situation where the good players like Binny have the opportunity to go on and excel as well, you know. Um, and there does need to be placed in for, let's say, the Hammies and the Squints and the Smallies and so on like that, that are in the team. There needs to be... A, a team for him to play on as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and a better structure for them, I suppose. What I'm trying to say, you know, and like everyone would be giving out about Dublin. Let's say the 31 counties outside Dublin would be giving out about Dublin and all the money and all the rubbish, the media rubbish that goes with it, and people would be on social media saying, "Oh, David, this David advantage and everything." The biggest thing Dublin have over every county is they have cop on, and they know how to run competitions underage. There's no county in the country can run competitions underage better than Dublin, you know. And I think if you went down a road show, lads, because and I know Paul, you're like you're Dublin all your life, obviously. If you went around to the other 31 counties and looked at their game structure, like you'd be you'd be laughing going back to Dublin after. To, they're so bad in some counties, you know. There's some there's some there's 17 year old boys and girls 
17-year-old boys in, in some counties now this year at their minor grade where they're only going to play three matches, you know, in Hurling or three matches in football. And that's it for the yeah. whole year. And name and shame. This, name and shame. No, we won't. We won't go down that road. Well. But like, there's worse off than that than those counties as well. Like, and, you know, it is just, and that's ultimately what this show comes back to is playing the game, you know, where they're playing a game that they love, that they enjoy as kids and they're allowed to go out every day, every day at 8 or 9 a.m. they're playing for all day. So, if you know, if you're, I, if you, I don't think we give them opportunities in the GA, you know. If you're a minor dual player in Dublin this year, I think you have a game Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday for is, is it 10 weeks in a row, just league matches. How enjoyable would that be to be a player? Yeah. I know yeah. there's, I, I know dual clubs are giving out about oh, is you know, missing players to train or whatever and such and such. But uh, as a player, if you're a dual player, would that be just be fantastic? Massive, Summer massive. months. It's minters. It's minters give out. That, yeah, that they're, that they're training. That they're, they're training and their coaching is more important than actually playing a game. Mm-hmm. And like, look, I can understand. Look, there's value to that. That that like a mentor. Look, if there's flaws in the team and there's the skill deficiencies, you need to improve them in the training session. But young fellas want to play the game. Like they don't want to go training. And like I used this example uh, before. Like is that. If they don't do it on the schoolyard at half to, at lunchtime, you shouldn't be doing it in training. But for a large part of it, like you never see kids in 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 school doing drills. No, you might have the odd case where you might have an old a binny might fucking say, right, lads, you know we're going to practice our jab lift here. No, this how we're going to do it, or we're going to practice that skill. But generally, they'll play some sort of a game, be it a chase game, be it a game of soccer, a game of football, um, a game of hurling, and that's what kids want. Like they'll do it at lunchtime, on without a coach, without a teacher telling them what they can and can't do. And like you said, well, ago, they needed Smalls to make the team, Paul. They needed that ninth man. If Smalls left, or if they if if they only had nine in the schoolyard and it was four versus five, they'd find a fifth man for that team, you know? Um, and it was it was actually interesting we were talking about this because I got an email today from a coach um, who said, is it strictly nine aside at under nine hurling in the goal games in Cork? And I said, it, it's maximum nine aside. But I said, if you seven, they have to play a seven. He goes, well, what if they say that it's nine aside, we're playing nine against your seven? And I said, look, if a mentor is like that, he's an awful cobshite. Um, <laughs> because, as I said, what would kids do in that situation? The kids would give a player over to make an eight versus eight. Um, but it's just the coach. Coaches sometimes, as I said, we're trying to accelerate the end product of being the best team in the county and winning senior counties and having inter-county players and I suppose you can just see in the opposite in like Benny had none of this coaching and look, I know it's a film, but like he was able to end up from, I suppose, his enjoyment of the game and being able to play it in an unstructured format. Like it was, it was hugely important. Yeah. And you know, the other thing I took from the film was that like, we all have this dream that every player that passes through our hands at underage or in schools or in clubs that they'll all go on and play a GA, you know, after like at adult level and they'll have a good career at adult level be it at, at senior level or junior C level or whatever but you know like like the, like the film you know a few players go on and play at adult level a lot of them enjoy it as kids but they go on and have other lives after and they don't go on and play it after so it was just something I suppose that I found very similar to the GA like we all have a dream of you know every player playing adult level but it doesn't work out like that realistically sure doesn't yeah do you know what as you were talking there, and I think it was Colin talked about 
you'll say some clubs and kind of creating new clubs and inventing clubs in certain areas. Like I suppose one positive in, in Dublin GA over the last number of years is the creation of Nagealog, where it's not a place that's linking people together. It's a certain identity, etc. You know, and we'll say Nagealog, I suppose, are, 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 is an Irish speaking club which started off as an adult club and it developed into something much bigger where they have a really successful nursery now. And that's a massive success. And I suppose coming into Dublin Football Leagues this year as well, you have uh, the the Rainbow Gales from the the LGBTQ community. And that sort of, them sort of teams coming in is just a reimagining of what a club can be it's yes it's primarily based on place and, and identity of place but it can be based on identity of person of what links them together because you obviously want to play if you're going playing sport you're playing it with people you know and I suppose and, and Colm you've been you've been at the forefront of it as well with the social hurling and I see it's it, it's there's, there's more and more of it sprouting up but at what stage now do we get away from it just being social hurling or, or, or social football and it being events like the tag rugby in Dublin where it's men and women and it's social events, midweek evening, few few beers, few um, few burgers and everyone's happy, you know, and it's just thinking outside the box is important in these things. Yeah, you're right, Polly, because it's funny you say that because cock, Cock rounders, and I never heard of them, but they 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 started following me on Twitter the other day, and I I looked to the handle and I looked at it, and there's a bunch of men and women playing a game of rounders up in Delaney's every week, you know, and it's like as you said, there it was just a, a a bunch of people coming together, kind of starting their own club, all kind of with the same interests, but um, you know, the GA are slow to like there's there's a lot of tradition in the GA, traditionalists and clubs are slow to change, and like. Geez, I, I didn't know about them two new clubs in Dublin, and um, that'll be interesting to see how they develop. Now that's yeah. that's that's promising. Nagaloga started off just as a, an Irish speaking club, picking up people from everywhere. But they set up a base now, Paul. I'm now Lucan Cider. Yeah, yeah, they're they're out there, kind of between Lucan and Selbridge, and, and know, attached to a school. I think our school, yeah, they're, schools, they're, yeah. they're flourishing. Absolutely, and, yeah. Like there's there's no reason why within the major urban centres like Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Galway, that there shouldn't be, and, and this isn't trying to prevent integration, that there shouldn't be a non-national adult Gaelic Games club because it's 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 often put out there as, oh, isn't it great that we have the international games or whatever for one week of a year or whatever. But surely there's communities there who we should be encouraging to to have clubs as well. Um if they, they feel the difficulty of, of, of integrating in. Because we've all we've all worked in in, in clubs where engaging the, the, the parents of, of of kids to come down about I suppose what the what Gaelic games is has been difficult. You know, so yeah. Um, and the Polish community has been poor to play a GA, hasn't it? It's been like I, I don't know how to like 
you know, it's been one community I've seen in, in a lot of towns and villages that have strong numbers in primary schools and so on. And they're just, and, and, and like fabulous athletes in primary schools. I say you've seen them as well as like the serious, serious athletes who sent Jews if you gave them a hurling helmet now or a pair of gloves and gum shield for Gaelic football that um, they'd excel like. So like, you know, You'd love to see, you know, with, with the population that's in the country, they're they're the one kind of community that I don't see take up chairs. You know, what would you see that in Dublin? So when you when you say it like that, Sean, yeah, possibly, yeah, possibly, it, it might be. Uh, well, it's just a lot of a lot of um, clubs would sorry sorry a lot of new Irish people that they, have a tradition say of soccer, and mm. it might be a case as they go play that sport because. That's what the parents know. So it might be another generation yeah. before we see that breaking down. But there is fabulous integration in a lot of clubs around the country. Like you see, is it Warren Point, who have the the eleven Nigerians fishermen, who are all yeah. down training with the club, and one of the players came on and got a, a goal in a championship match there recently. Yeah. Um, but like it's 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 like there was a there was a good article up in the GA.ie there last week about uh, another about another down guy who was a Protestant fella. He said he never played GA in his life until he moved to Manchester. Yeah. And a Mayo fella brought him down and sure he loved it. And uh really got involved with the club heavy there. So like it's it is something there that East Belfast again, Mossy is another Yes, that's another good example. Yeah. Brilliant really example. Good example of a a non-traditional playing base in an area. So it's I suppose East Belfast predominantly Protestant. Um, but yet they've created that inclusive culture of and I know the GA talk about belong all the time. They they've really done that and I don't follow too many clubs on Twitter at all. Um yeah. I, I probably maybe only follow uh ten or fifteen and it's because of I really interested in or, or personal links or whatever. But East Belfast are one I do follow because they do things a little bit differently and it's interesting. I think I think it was something that was mentioned. I don't know if it was one of our G, GPO in service days years ago, lads, but they mentioned again about the integration and what they said, like, is imagine now if we move to the middle of Africa or the middle of South America and there's some game where there's a bunch of fellas running around with sticks and half of them are flaking each other and there's a game of soccer next door, which one would you put your kid to? And it's the familiarity of what you know that the soccer is the safe thing and you're, you're aware of it, you know what it's about. Whereas this game with sticks and fellas running around mightn't be as attractive initially, you know. But I think a lot of it, look, it comes back to the, the work done in the schools and the trade integration. Um, but, but it is, it's a very good point, Sean. Like it's a, like I know we, we were fortunate blowing our own club in Killa that we had, a, we had a Polish lad playing with a Nigerian playing with the, basically the same team um, in a small village. But I think the, the bigger towns should definitely be tried to, to integrate integrate them more. But I think the GA now have they do have a cultural diversity officer to that is working. I think Jermac Tavish is, is leading that charge. Right, yeah. Yeah, oh, this so. is great. There's great stuff going on, and like, like you can see just by the surnames with a lot of different clubs and counties at this stage. Now, there's a lot of people who have moved to the country or families moved to the country, and they are integrating, and it's, it's actually great to see. It really is. But, um, we can always do better, I suppose, as a club. But just getting back to the clubs, there, um, clubs are becoming better now, but I can see as being clubs like trying to include everybody, not just players to trying to, you know, we have the 
with the walking tracks around clubs you see it a lot now uh, we mentioned the rounders there Sean I think the, the All-Ireland rounders championships around Abbottstown actually this weekend um, I think like Brafey who was also associated with Brafey with the uh, GA football club but they're in an All-Ireland rounders mixed final or semi-final tomorrow um, against Nafina and it's just like and I think over the last 18 months, I say, well, how long have we locked down on this? It's 15 months yeah. that clubs are doing a lot more in their community to, to promote themselves and taking a bigger part in the community, trying to appeal to everybody and make everybody welcome. And I think it's been fantastic. Like, I, like I've seen this year, my own club back home in Galway, we third football team for the first time ever. Um, and that's a case for a lot of urban clubs who do have the numbers like you know people are coming back uh, maybe it is because of lockdown you just want to get out of the house or just uh, something like that but it, it is good to see like I was reading there today I think there's 101 different ladies football club teams in Dublin this year down through all the leagues like which is just massive like it's just it's crazy like so yeah and look as well to be the odd fella in their 40s and probably should be stopped playing hurling and hasn't played in five or six years and they're rocking up the clubs and telling them, oh, sure, I used to play midfield when it was when, when it was minor, and they're getting injured and sure they can't even they can't even feed and, and, and water the babies anymore. That's true. That's true. But you get away with that in a in a county like Dublin, you know what I mean? If you oh, yeah. in, 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 in a competitive county. Yeah. yeah. What you're saying there, I actually seen during the week De La Salle and Waterford have a I think they're calling De La Salle babies. I don't know if you've seen them on Twitter lads, yeah, but class. They're, they're, uh, I'm not, not exactly sure what it is, but they're, they're any children born in the area, they're kind of giving them full membership or something along those lines. I'm not exactly sure. But, but they're, what the goal is, is to make the club grounds in, in Grace Joe. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's slightly outside of the, let's say, the, the traditional housing area. Um, but they want to make that the community hope. They want people to use it for community events and stuff like that. And again, it's just going back to the GA clubs that they're far more progressive now in looking around at everybody, you know, like, like walking tracks must be, Jesus, for builders, they must be an absolute goldmine that the amount of clubs put in walking tracks. They can, like, one of the biggest things about that you heard during the lockdown was when will walking tracks be open? It wasn't when yeah. the pitch is open, it was when the walking tracks, because there's a huge cohort of people that, that was a major social outlet for them. And uh, and it's fantastic to see. And again, it, it kind of goes back to the to the film what we're talking about here. It was like you got you got Smallsy. He moved to the area and he got integrated by playing a game. And the GA are brilliant at, I suppose, welcoming in people. That I know if Paul O'Brien gets up and he moves to Beijing, the first thing he'll probably do after he gets settled down is look: is there a GA club local? Because that's it's, the community, and Massey, you did it. You went off. I, I said, yeah, I said it to you before. I moved off to Cardiff there was it five, six years ago, and the first thing I did was rock down to a training session on a Tuesday, Thursday night. Um, arrived five minutes late just so I could see them miss the running or whatever it was. But yeah, <laughs> integrated straight away. Made some great friends from that night on. Who I'm still like back in Ireland now, about three, four years. Only there for a year and a half. But lads, I'd be texting nearly every day or sending messages to, and it was just all because of the what the social element of the GA is. And as I said, if you move abroad, the first thing you're going to do is go down to your local GA club and you'll have, you'll make friends and you'll make, meet people. And it's just a fantastic thing to do. So I think, I don't know, is it different when we, when we do that internally in Ireland, though, is it? Are, are we still too attached to our own home clubs? 
you know. Say Sean, Sean, you moved up to Dublin, like like I said, I had great experience. I moved to Sligo on the second, the first Tuesday night, there was training and that was it. I met three lads and great fun. But like Sean, you moved up to Dublin and I suppose I was the only person you probably, well, bear, bear the cousins, but you probably wanted to avoid the powers. <laughs> um, but like, you still have people contacts there, like? Oh, yeah. Um, and I, like, you know, for a young person, I suppose it, is, it, it highlighted the importance of moving away from home, really, at, at some stage, because, you know, like I would have definitely grown up in a situation where our neighbours and uh, neighbouring clubs and so on, you know, you, you'd be you'd, you'd, you'd have an absolute hatred for them. And you'd be going into the shop or you'd be going into the into the local, into the pub or the nightclub at the weekends and you'd be kind of looking over at each other and you'd be saying them feckers over there and so on like that. You know, by moving away and integrating in other J clubs and and I suppose getting away from that, you know, it gives you a better appreciation of the J. It definitely, as you as you as you all said, like you know, socially, you know, tis tis massive, and it's only when you go, go away from your own bubble from home, you see the social side of it more than you would have when you were at home, maybe stuck in that little bubble, um, and definitely when you get back home, then again. You'd have a greater appreciation, I suppose, of the GA and what it can give to you to the local club, but also to the clubs around them and the benefits of it to, to all the clubs. And you just have a different outlook, really, I suppose, on it. I'm sure I that's think, the kind of outlook Massey was on about there. Yeah, know? I, I think you appreciate when you go away and you go you go to another club or you're involved in another club, you actually appreciate the people in your own club a little bit more. Yeah. Those people who line the pitches or put up the nets or coach all the underage teams, whatever it is, wash the jerseys. You appreciate them more because you see it from the other side to put that effort into their own club, which isn't your own club originally. It's like, Jesus, they're a great person, they're a great person in that. And you realize that nearly every club in the country has these people in it already. And uh, definitely, it's you do appreciate it a lot more. So, so Sean, um, you've been involved in um, a lot of, say, development panels throughout mm. your, your coaching career. So, what, what are you looking for from a player, say, a 13, 14 year old who's entering the that for the first um, time that system for the first time yeah I suppose I suppose what we're trying to do in with Massey and like look it's it's kind of you know going against the way the GAs and I know we get a lot of heat for it, but we're trying to kind of nearly shield players from being exposed to you know like one cock team let's say under 14 under 15 level where you know like statistically if you look at it under 14 particularly in cock because we're a big county I suppose uh, we've a lot of clubs that the turnover of players from 14, 15 is absolutely massive, you know, and, you know, whereas let's say in a county like Offaly or Clare, you might have 30 good players of 14 and you work with them, you develop them and you bring them along. So I suppose what we're looking at for those young players at, at, at 13, 14, 15 is, I suppose, have a good attitude, you know, keep them grounded, um, you know, like definitely looking for people with the characteristics of Benny from the film, you know, like he, I, he just screams out at me as fellas that I've seen underage that you know will go on and have a good career for themselves after. Um, and like, as well as that, then you'd, you'd, you'd see players that are as talented as Benny, let's say, in the hurling of football since, but just their attitude is just absolutely appalling at 14, 15. And you try and change that, I suppose. How do you mean by their attitude of Paul? And does it mean like on the um, pitch, are they're big headed, or they're just not willing to? I suppose not willing to. I suppose engage with you know um, the physical programs, the 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 programs that you're putting in front of them. That you know they they might have a good 
physical attributes already, natural attributes that they mightn't, they might take it for granted, I suppose. And it's only when they pick up little injuries and knocks at 16, 17, 18, they see the benefits of, you know, the, the training and the, the expertise that's been provided to them and they might start working a bit better. But you'll also see the jacketed lads, you know, like you look at the film even, you know, you never you never see Benny kind of taking the, the mickey out of anyone or, you know, picking on anyone. You'd see the other guys doing it, the, the guys that aren't as talented as them, I suppose. And, you know, those are the little things you'll be looking for in fellas to see how they carry themselves amongst their group, amongst players that aren't of similar ability to them. Can they bring the weaker players along with them? You know, can they improve the players around them? Um, and not just be kind of be selfish and trying to do it all themselves. Um, you know, so like that's that's kind of where we're at at the minute. We're kind of gone full circle because I know certainly when I kind of started back here, we would have been like very solely fixated on getting the best players out in the field at 13, 14, 15 and, and winning at all costs. And we were quite successful in underage tournaments there for a few years, but, you know, our return for after was quite poor. Um you know, in terms of, you know, players being grounded, um, having good attributes, you know, things coming easy to them at 13, 14, 15 years of age. Like, you're nearly looking for fellas that nearly need to work very hard to get to where they they want to get to, don't you? You know, you're, you're kind of looking at small things that they improving. Um, you're looking for the marginal, small inches, I suppose, uh, of improvement in fellas, but definitely it all comes back to the attitude, doesn't it? And, you know, their home place and what their parents are telling them and, how they're carrying themselves. And and how do you go about sending a player back to their club who's a, just hasn't made the development squad anymore? Like they're they're not going to be in the 30 or whatever. How would, do you yeah. with the how do you do anything for to do send them back to the clubs to get over their disappointments that they don't give up the game completely, which you do see happening. Like lads yeah. and girls who make development squads think they're the bees knees, might be a couple of under underage county games, then all of a sudden they're no longer needed, or yeah. sorry, not needed wanted, and then they just lose interest completely. Yeah, and like like I suppose we said this already. Like we're definitely, I'm definitely, and I'm saying I'm a, an excellent coach, and none of us are. But we do have years of banks um, experience, I suppose. You know, and like what what I mean by that, I suppose, is you know, looking back now and looking at the players that we bought through development squads, the amount of players not playing adult hurling or football with their clubs, to me, is 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 absolutely alarming. That players have been good enough to play with Cork, or or Dublin even for that matter, at 14 and 15 and 16 years of age and yet aren't even playing with their clubs at junior level or intermediate level or senior level. That to me is, that to me tells me something's wrong, you know, um, be it the overall structure around the country at development squads and are we are we doing too much with development squads? Um, but it definitely screams to me that something is going seriously wrong, that players have given up playing GA at 18, 19 years of age, when they were good enough to play, make county teams at 14 or 15. Um, and I think we would, like your question was, you know, how do we handle players that get dropped? I suppose I would say very, very poorly. And I, I and I'm not, I'm not saying that about uh, yeah. Cork. I'm saying that in general across general, the country. Yeah. I think tis, I think we all look back and we can reflect very, very poorly, I think, in how we handle it. I think we're getting a bit better through experience and by having people that have gone through it over a number of years. Like I, I know myself and I sent an email out during the week only looking for um, information from the 14 players, let's say, because we haven't had had a chance to start, obviously, with regional squads 
because of the COVID. But like on the email, it it it, it explained what we were trying to do, I suppose. But also like it it explained that our, our goal is that every young fella will go on and play with their club, you know, mm. in their adults, that they'll have an adult career in their club. That's what we're trying to come out of it because we all know through development squads only only three or four percent might go on and play at senior level. Do you know, like the other 96 percent aren't going to get through to senior level. So like we have to be realistic too and to take the take a I think we need to take a different approach, you know. And um this is disappointing really, I suppose. And I, I, I say you're similar enough, lads, that you would see some counties and you know, they think the under 14 and under 15 and under 16 is the the be all end all. And even like Paul is involved with the Dublin under 20s. And like, I don't know, you involved in next year's group again, Paul, but like, I would argue that the most important game for you guys this year is the first round of the Leinster Championship, or the most important game for Cochrane the 20s this year is the first round of the Munster Championship. It isn't the all Ireland final against Galway or Dublin, in my opinion, because them players have been developed. They've won a Munster Championship. They've had a good run of games. It'd be great to win the all Ireland, but if they go out a week later and next year's group are knocked out in the first round, you know, that's a year's development of them group of players that they're not going to get. So I would put more, We I'd love to win the All-Ireland, obviously, and Cochrane Trinity's to win it, and I'm sure Paul would be the same. But I would be putting more on, you know, next year's team winning the first round and trying to emulate and get to Munster final again. So it's just a different approach, I suppose, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm mad, maybe I'm an extremist, but sometimes I feel like I'm gone like Jerry Maguire in the film where I'm kind of gone totally against the... The way the things are gone, you mission, know. Mission statement. And I think we should clarify yeah. here that Paul Paul wants to win it for Dublin, not Cork. Um, yeah. Just with the under 20. But like, I'd ask this question, Sean, on development squads. Look, and I know, Paul, you've been involved as well. It's like, if we, like, are we actually really, really helping a player that much between 13 and 17 by having him in a development squad as opposed to not having him in a development squad? Like, is, is Sean Crowley playing for Killa? Uh, let's say Sean is an inter or under fourteen cock player. If Sean wasn't on a development squad for four years, or there was no development squad for him to play for, would he be in a better position at seventeen than he is after potentially, as you said, Sean, be whether it's the structure of being burnt out or overdoing yeah. it or whatever it is? Like, is there actually really a need for development squads in the GA? Well, like, I know, are we just copying yeah. other sports, professional sports, where there's huge money and financial incentives? Or well, I, yeah. Yeah, I might just go first, but I, I, I yeah, and I know, I know the question you're asking. To answer your question, I suppose, is there are some players that are from an area, that are from a club, that aren't playing at a, a good level, let's say A or B or Premier 1 or Premier 2 or whatever, and, you know, they don't have the same opportunities of players, let's say, from the Kilmacuds or Ballybodens in Dublin or the Middletons or Sarsfields from this area, let's say, in East Cork, that, you know... I do think that they do need a development squad structure for them to give the same opportunity as the players from the bigger clubs or the bigger schools, let's say the Hackney Cup schools like the St. Coleman's or the Milton CBS or the Christians. Because if they don't get that ex- same exposure to games at club level or school level, like they are at a huge, huge disadvantage. So like, I do think that there should be a development squad for the type of player that isn't from a big club that's playing at a very low grade because of numbers, they might have low numbers, or it's from an area where you're not going to a good school that's not traditional enough and might be playing a low grade. That's where I see the big benefit for development squads, more so than the players from, let's say, the Kilmacolts or the Bordens in Dublin or the, you know, St. Finbars in Cork. 
like to answer your question, I don't think they're going to use, gain as much out of development squads as the other players. But that's my opinion, isn't it? Yeah, look, um, just to, to give my couple of pence worth or whatever the saying is, um, like we I mentioned last week about some counties positively discriminating towards a certain frame of player or a certain club that they might be from or whatever. Um, is there need for them? Can lads develop outside them? It depends. As Sean's after outlined there, the the young lad from Ballyboden in comparison to the young lad from Crumlin, the best fella on the Crumlin team and probably be on the Ballyboden B team at under 14 level, you know. But if he gets with Dublin, he could end up excelling or whatever, whatever the case may be. But it just depends. Colin Crowley at 14 is a completely different hurler to what he is at 18. Now he'll still be slow, right? And he'll still be only looking to try and club <laughs> a full forward. But he's he's a different person. And and fellas the fellas and girls develop at different rates. It depends. You know, I I would see there being benefits in the social the social element of engaging with lads from different parts of Dublin because being a lad from use my own club again, it's completely different to a lad from Kilmacud Crokes or whatever, you know. Um and again, you move that into tour level. I think tour level Gaelic games is massively important. I think the the good hurling competitions like the Corny Duel or, or or whatever are really important for developing lads. Um and and stuff like that. The Hearty yeah. Cup as well. The Hearty Cup. Yeah, 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 that one. But like, I, I know I'm going to contradict myself, but sorry, Mas, but um, you know, like I do look at the Katie Taylors there when they're being interviewed and, and elite athletes, you know, like, and even Binny there in, in this film, like, there has to be something, you know, I know, I, and I'm giving out about development squads in some ways because, you know, I think there's too much and some clubs, players don't benefit hugely from it and so on, but there has to be an outlet for an elite player to also excel, you know, and the GA do need to provide that, you know, for the, the like the players are like single-minded, like Katie Taylor, do you know what I mean? Like it's like, I like if we got rid of development squads in the morning, you know, where are, where are them real, you know, really focused athletes because they do exist. Do you know what I mean? They're, they they do exist in every sport. Where's their outlet? Like, will they go away and play some other sport? Do you know? It's hard to know, and just yeah, yeah. I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. There, I think it was you shot, maybe it was Colin, um, saying that should the end goal be for anybody in a development squad be that you go play senior with your club, and if you can get that mentality in them from a young age, I think it'd be all the better for it, rather than being in a development squad and not playing the game by the age of 19. Like, how many times have you meet people that say, oh, I was invited into a trial when it's under 14 or 15. Oh, how are you playing now? I don't play anymore. And you come across that a lot. Yeah. So I think but shouldn't it, be, shouldn't it be club development? Shouldn't development squads be club development where, like, you're taking, you're taking players from a club that, you know, mightn't be at elite, elite level, let's say, you know, where they're, they're, you know they're not going to make, let's say, senior level. 
but they're good. They're they're the top three or four fellas in a club where from a smaller club, let's say, they need that exposure so that when they go back to their club, they're going to be better players for their club. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, shouldn't it be a club development model? Do you know that you're gearing them towards that they're going back to their clubs, better players? And like, every county is guilty of, of not doing that, I think, do you know? And so are, are you also suggesting, not putting words in your mouth, that we should try to expose a lot more players to this elite Say coaching says going on in yeah. squads, like what you said earlier on with the Pat Daly's model, where you'll have four or five lads or girls go for a couple of weeks, and then in a couple of weeks' time, you have another four or five from that club going down as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I mean, I, I suppose I'm in East Cork now, and um, like we've 16 clubs to in the area, let's say. And um, and you all play senior be, together, though, don't you? The clubs, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to start another argument, you know, but um, <laughs> the uh. The, I suppose what I'm trying to say is at under 14 level last year I had 96 boys uh, across 16 clubs which is quite big numbers and I, I have three teams from that is the way I look at it under 14 level I, I'm not interested in amalgamating them together to make one team I have three even teams and what I'm looking for is to ensure that there's five or six players from each of those clubs and some clubs would have more than eight or nine but that we're improving the players so that they're going back to their clubs so that they're, like, they're playing at a higher grade than their clubs through matches like I think matches are the big thing with them development squads. Do you know, I think the training and Colin asked the question when they go, do you know, our players really benefit? I don't think they're benefiting a thing from training, to be quite honest. I think it's the matches being exposed to games of of, of higher tempo where they're really being tested physically. Do you know, I was at an under 30 match tonight and it was a P1 game and the referee left a lot of things go and um, you could see good players, you know, being bottled up and struggling and, you could see as the game was going on, they were improving as they were getting uh, battled up. They were coming out with the ball a bit better or they were releasing the ball a bit better. So they were learning as they were going along. So that's what better quality games give players, you know. Um, but like, I, I, I don't, I, I, I can't, I can't find how one team in any county at under 14 level is of any real benefit. That's, look, that's my own. And I, I understand that you know, if, if let's say Hurling and Dublin, they said, "All right, lads, we're going to pick three teams under fourteen Hurling." They're nearly they're they're nearly beaten before they go up because football will eat them alive because they might only have one team so competing then straight away, aren't you? Unless everyone comes on board with a, mm. a good model, you know. Yeah, excellent. Um, just one of the last things on the movie, then, and I suppose looking again, I talked to constant referencing to to star players, you know, the babe. Babe Root was constantly brought up, you know, and they, they mentioned about him pointing to the old field and hitting the ball there and stuff like that. And uh, and the chewing tobacco incident where <laughs> where they were giving out the chewing tobacco and it was like, all the players, all the players in the major leagues do it, you know. Um, and like, are, could, could we be better in the GA at highlighting and, and put, putting a light on these players or because of the amateur thing, do we not want to do that? Um is it something that, especially look, football is is easier because they don't have helmets and they're recognisable. But, but in hurling, are we are we a small bit slow to kind of put put these superstars up on a a pedestal, or is it because of the amateur game we, we don't do it? It's it's a hard There's, one there. I think a lot of it could be parochial. It could be parochial as well there, Colum. Where you have like who like who does who like who's the biggest superstar in hurling? You probably Joe Canning is probably the most known hurler probably in the country. Um, 
you have your TJ Reeds and all that type, but like you, you'd have your Pat Horgan and Cork, which are, you wouldn't be recognised if you walked down the street in Dublin or maybe in Galway or whatever. It's, it's the, there's a whole identity thing there with, with helmets and stuff. So maybe if we could do something, but I think it, 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 it's hard. It would be hard. But has it, has it changed? Like, what was it? Was it? Did we have more heroes as youngsters than the kids do these days in, in, in the GA? But you see, when you're when you, there's probably more there's probably more games on TV now where you're exposed to a lot more players. Where say when you were growing up, you'd probably only get to see the Munster final on TV, the All Ireland semi final and final. So you'd know your DJ Carries, you know your Joe Cooney's because you see them all the time. If you get me, mm-hmm. where now you're probably exposed to a lot more yeah. players all of the time. Yeah, that's a good point, Marcy. Because you know, I I remember when I was growing up, there was um. I remember seeing Bantry Blues in the county final back in the 90s. They won two counties, 95 and 98. And I remember only seeing Damien O'Neill. He played midfield twice with them. And like he he was crippled with injuries with cock after. But I was only a young fella. And, you know, I used to think that he was the greatest footballer of all time. Do you know what I mean? He, he like mm-hmm. I only ever saw him twice in county finals. But the way he was just soar through the sky and catch the ball. And I remember being a young fella coming away saying, Jesus. And even to this day, I would still say, he was the greatest footballer I've ever seen. And, you know, obviously he never, you mightn't have known him because he never went down to have a, a long career with Cock after. But, um, you know, like as your point there, I only ever saw him twice. And that was the image and the view I took of him going away. You know, and the same with Johnny Sheehan in, in St. Catherine's. I remember seeing him with St. Catherine's one time when I was younger, back in the 90s again, and going above people's head, catching the ball and hurling and like giving a majestic performance up in Parky Ring one day and like coming away with a, a visual and an image of this fella saying, Jesus, that's like crazy, crazy good stuff, you know. And But like, as you say, if I was watching him every week, would I get sick from him or, you know, you'd, you're, you, would your opinion change week to week? So it was a good point. Excellent. Anything else on the movie lads that you liked or enjoyed? Or, or yeah, how, how, the, um, the whole thing about getting a ball. Was just yeah. brilliant, like 98 cents. 98 cents. So, if you lose a ball, like it happened to us all, the game is over, the ball bursts, or something like that. Where are we going to get a ball from? And I say we all have stories about that ourselves. So going into someone's backyard, like it happens in the in the film, and you say, No, you get it, you kicked it. Well, it's not my ball, I don't care. You go get it, it's your ball, you get it, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Are, are like we've all probably have great stories of uh, I won't use the word stealing, but uh. Getting a ball at a match, getting a slitter at a, a senior match or something like that. Like I, like I, I remember the All Ireland 2001 final. I was in behind the goals in the canal end. Goal playing Tipperary, and Tipperary burst out onto the pitch, and you know just strike a slitter. So someone struck a slitter, and I was gonna hit a woman in the head about two seats away from me, and I just grabbed that ball, put it in my pocket, and I just I still have it. And then there was a, a goaler playing Clare in an opening of a pitch not long after Clare won their first All Ireland 95. And um, <laughs> one of the lads, uh, the ball struck over the bar and as it went onto the pitch, the ball went back onto the pitch. We were all behind the goals fighting for these slitters. He actually ran onto the pitch, grabbed the ball and just ran across the pitch with it out the gap. And it was just like brilliant. And we hurled at that ball then that evening. It was just... The difference between you and me, Moss, you know, was that when a ball came over the crossbar, over the net, and I think it was the 2018 All-Ireland Final, Rather than hitting the woman on the head beside me, I plucked it out of the sky before it even got that far. But, uh, I know, I have a few that I caught a Sammy Sosa boss before. It is, it's, it, it is something that, that we, like, I don't know, like, I, Sean, like, we used to be down in Killa, and I remember the bottom, the bottom net in particular, um, 
like Cork played Waterford at the time they opened the pitch in an exhibition game. I think it was 96. And sure, Jesus, if a ball went into the ditch, it was a mad scramble to get it. And it was only watching um, Wexford and Antrim there two weeks, or last week, they did the two young ball boys behind the bottom goals in Corrigan Park. You know, there's a big green area and yeah, really net there. I think there's just, that's it. There's a fence 50 yards behind the goals and if it goes over, it's in the backyard. And there was two young fellas there and I said, like, imagine being that age and you're getting to do ball boy for a county team against Wexford. Like, wouldn't that be just some buzz for the young fellas? Like, but it's, uh, I, I don't know the young fellas, are, do they, are slitters too freely available to kids these days that, the novelty of getting a slitter into the pocket and legging it. And legging um, it, yeah. It's is gone, you know. But uh, you know, you still see it on TV, Jordan, in, in the games in the summer, young lads behind certain uh, certain pitches. But there was like, a, like you, you know, young lads, you go out, say, out the country playing matches, and there's all the certain pitches, you know, if you go into that backfield, that we'll mm. find slitters. Like, I remember going out to Crockwell one day, and I think every one of the team came over the slitter. Just <laughs> we're out there half an hour before the match, and ever, and we're just, just getting in, plucking slitters out. It was brilliant. Excellent. Paul, anything from the movie? No, look, just enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Excellent. Sean, anything else? No, just uh, the, the best part I thought was the uh, in the swimming pool, you know, when Squints um, passed out under the water and came up and he was yeah. getting resuscitated by Wendy and he got a kiss. I think that was, um, there was some good funny ones in it, but that was that was very good, I thought. The wink, yeah. the wink in that scene. Yeah. We just looked at the lads and he winked. It was just... Oh, and we, we probably all have that one mate who would have tried that. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he married her in the end. <laughs> he married yeah. her in the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. Now, great movie. Great movie. And as it looked, um, I suppose, interesting for coaches to have a look at it and start to see what, what it could be um, or the difference it could be, you know. And like, look, as I said, they just played for fun. And I think that's why, why kids play any sport is they play for fun. And not to forget that, I suppose, is the... Would be would be one of the, t- the key points over it. So so look, uh, thanks for your time, Sean. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Sean. We are into season four now, so thanks to everyone who has listened so far. We would be grateful if you would take the time to give us a retweet on, on Twitter or just share with your friends. It would also be great if you could give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us. And we'd really appreciate that. We are taking a small break for the summer, and we'll see you all again in a few weeks. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>